Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Hey, my name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here as the, the other pastor, James, said. Um, welcome. We are glad that you're spending some of your day with us. Uh, if you're a dad or if you had one, we, we all did. Uh, happy Father's Day. Thank you for spending uh, some of your Father's Day with us. Today we're continuing in our big picture series where if this is your first time with us or if you haven't been part of this series so far, we're, we're taking like a, a, a 30,000 foot view of the Bible where we're taking each Sunday to go through a book of the Bible or sometimes like half or, or part of a, a book of the Bible. We break them down that way so we can get the big picture of things and see the, the thread of the gospel as it runs through every book in the Bible. Uh, it's an amazing, consistent message, the good news about Jesus, uh, the author and finisher of our faith. So today we find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy. So if that's a, a new book for you, got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in case you wonder, Deuteronomy is called that way because uh, Deuteronomy means second. Uh, Nomi means words. These are the second words or literally the, the second time that Moses has given the law uh, of God to the Israelites. And today, uh, as we get into Deuteronomy, I want us to go ahead and flip over to chapter 6, if you would. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to chapter 6, because I believe that the opening verses of chapter 6 kind of present to us a microcosm of the entire book. Um, it will kind of give us a way to encapsulate what is going on in the book in a summary, summary way. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. The Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that, you may go, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in, the, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him 
you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. We'll stop there for now. That gives us sort of uh, an encapsulation of what is taking place here in the book of Deuteronomy. And recent studies have shown that the book of Deuteronomy follows a pattern of a legal document um, that was uh, prevalent at the time called, called a suzerainty. And this legal document would be where a suzerain or an overlord agreed to a binding relationship with a nation that was subject to himself. And the suzerain, the king, would protect that nation. He would provide for that nation, but the subject nation must show exclusive faithfulness to the suzerain, to the suzerain king. So Deuteronomy really takes on that form of a suzerainty, and the very form of Deuteronomy then has an important message for the nation of of Israel is that the nation was not going to have a human ruler as their ruler, some, some human tyrant, but it would be the altogether good God himself would rule the nation of Israel. There was no need for a human king in Israel for the all-wise God would be their king. There was no need for human military protection for the all-powerful God himself would be their defender. If. If, major word, if, if only Israel would live according to the covenant that God had made with them. The Lord was committed to do good with His people in that case. See, unlike the unilateral covenant or the unconditional covenant that God had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as a nation of people to bring the Messiah through, now that they were entering the land that God was going to give them, there was an additional bilateral covenant, a conditional covenant in the land. This was a two-way street now based on blessing and how things would go with them in the land. God would keep His promise to bless the nation if the people remained faithful to Him in the land. Now remember, the adult Israelites at this point were too young to have participated in the first covenant at Mount Sinai. Remember that the adults rebelled right? They, they worshiped false gods. And so God said, 20 years and younger, you can enter, right? 20 years and younger. So therefore, Moses is reviewing the law at the doorsteps of the promised land. They're almost there. He's urging this, these, these young people, this new generation to re-covenant, if you will, with Yahweh God, to make afresh, to recommit themselves. And so I've titled my message today, Choose Life. Because I believe that's a good summary of the overall message of Deuteronomy. Remember, in this series, what we're trying to do is look at the message of Genesis, the message of Exodus, the the message of Leviticus, and so forth, and see the overall thing um, that God is talking about in that book and how it connects to the thread of the gospel that runs throughout. Some of you uh, folks in here who are of same vintage as me or or older than me may remember... um, the phrase Choose Life becoming popular when George Michael of the group Wham! wore it in a music video, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, right? Uh, The slogan was originally used by a designer in the 80s during the Cold War. You know, there was this impending fear and threat at the time of nuclear uh, mutually assured destruction, right? World War III taking place. And her plea was to everyone around the world, Don't choose war, choose life, was what she was trying to say. And 
her idea was that if I get the message out, we, we can do that collectively together. We can choose life. There was a, a choice before us. And in a very real sense, this is what God is telling his people in the book of Deuteronomy. But it wasn't the 80s kind of choose peace, not war kind of uh, vague message. No, it was choose the author of peace, God himself. Choose God, choose the author of peace, and by doing so, live, choose life. So that's the message of Deuteronomy, and that's the message I want to bring to us today. There's nothing, uh, I won't be saying anything profound today. Those of you who have heard me preach before, it's not a shock to you. (laughs) There won't be profundity today, but I think it's a clear message um, in the Scripture, and I think it's something that we can learn. Well, uh, just to give you a brief outline of the book, uh, Deuteronomy is essentially made up of three sermons in a funeral. And we see at first, uh, these, these sermons are by Moses. And first, God, um, uh, Moses talks about what God had done for Israel in chapters 1 through 4. Uh, he kind of recounts what God did on behalf of uh, Israelites um, from the time of the covenant at Sinai, and this renewal ceremony at Moab. And God wanted Moses to teach the Israelites again about God's nature as Savior and protector and to motivate the Israelites to keep their covenant. He remembered, told them, remember uh, what, what God has done for you. Then he, he went over what God expects of Israel. He kind of restates the covenant. Uh, the Ten Commandments are included in there, as we read uh, back in Exodus uh, 20 through 23. And they needed to be specifically applied to the people's new way of life as they're entering into the promised land. So Moses kind of gives them an expanded look. We've encouraged you to read the books ahead of time before we get to them each week. So if you have, you probably recognize, man, there's a lot more detail seemingly on the, on the Ten Commandments than there were back in Exodus. So Moses kind of fleshes them out. Uh, and then Moses talks about what God will do for Israel. Uh, he begins with a ritual of blessings and cursings that are dependent upon them, keeping the, their end of the bargain, so to speak. Um, he charges the nation, be faithful In the future, he reminds them of God's faithfulness, God's love, but also of God's wrath. And this previous generation, again, because of their disobedience, weren't going to be able. So remember, God is talking here to to young folks. He's talking to 20 years old and younger. And can you imagine Moses preaching to these people and their, 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 their elder leadership is gone? They didn't get to see the promised land that was, that was promised, but their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are entering in, and they're hearing from God, from Moses, here's how you are to live in the new land. And then um, I, 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 a theme running through today is to pay attention how God has acted with his people in the past and, and with his enemies in the past because God doesn't change. And so he's reminding them. Uh, And then he formally, Moses uh, commissions Joshua as his successor, and then we see the death, burial, and legacy of Moses. So in essence, if you're a note taker, the Israelites were commanded to remember four things. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's holiness. Remember God's blessings. And remember God's warnings. There's a, uh, an old Russian proverb that says, if you dwell on the past, you'll lose an eye. But if you forget the past, you'll lose both of them. That was Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that, um, and he 
he, he, would, he would know. He, he would know. He was a dissident from the Soviet Union during the Cold War. And um, in essence, this is what God is saying to Israel. He's pleading with Israel, learn from the past. I have shown you myself. I have revealed to you who I am. So follow me, the author of life, and live. Uh, forget me, though, and you will perish. And so he's saying, man, move forward from the rebellion of your fathers, but don't forget what they did, lest you repeat it. Right? That's the message that God is giving them. In some ways, you, you could have, uh, I could have called this message, remember, or may we never forget, that sort of thing. But I wanted to focus on why we should never forget, and that is, if we don't forget, if we follow the Lord, we can choose life and live. So that's a central theme, the message of Deuteronomy. Um, flip over to chapter 30 with me uh, if you want in your Bibles. I love to hear the, the pages turning. You guys can check me, make sure I'm reading the right things here, right? Not making stuff up as I go. And it, it gives this central theme, which I believe is the central theme of the entire book. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. If you're looking for the central theme, this is it. Moses, or God says through Moses, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. That's the central theme. And so um, I want to focus on what's around that. What, did, what led to God saying that, that central theme to his people? In order to do that, I want to look at uh, kind of, the again, the things that go around there. The setting that I want to pick up with is on kind of the heels of Moses's third sermon that he preached to the Israelites. In this sermon, Moses was kind of reviewing the covenant, like I said, and he reminds them that this is a conditional covenant. It's a, a kind of a combination of speeches. And in chapter 27, Moses gives instructions for this ceremony that was, going to be, uh, that was going to be held when they took possession of the land. Once they got to a place called Shechem in the very middle of the promised land, they were supposed to build an altar and set up a stone memorial for the occasion. And chapter 27 says this in verses 5 through 6 about that stone altar. He says, And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And so God told him to make it this way for very specific reasons. Notice, wield no iron tool on them. They should be of uncut stones. They should not have the marks of human making is the point. Why? What's the point God is making? Well, the point is they had not delivered themselves out of Egyptian slavery. They had not obtained this land for themselves. God had given them this land. God had delivered them from Egyptian slavery. Um, they were not their own rescuers. They were not rescued by human hands at all, let alone their own. It is God who saves his people. It is God who is providing this land. It is God who will protect them. It is God who is covenanting with them, and it is God who will protect them as a nation. I just, um, I want to, if I had a soapbox up here, I'd step on it for just, for just a second. I just want to point out here, remember I said that God is consistent. God never changes. With him, there's no turning of shadow. He's, he's constant in how he deals 
with people who follow him and people who reject him. And here we see God dealing with the nation of Israel. Now, if you read forward in the scripture, you'll see that he treats them exactly like he treats everybody else, right? Follow him and live, follow and reject him, and you, you won't live. Um, and so I just want to make a word of, of application. You know, there's um, the, the, the political season in, in our country is cranking up, is it not? We're going we're gonna to start hearing presidential candidates and things like that. And, and listen, if, if you're here today or watching online, if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you are uh, progressive, conservative, anywhere in between, we can look around us and see that we are a people in turmoil. I think we can at least agree on that. Uh, and that it seems like our nation, um, and economically and socially in all kinds of ways, is really rocky, right? And, and I would say in trouble. And although America um, never has been, I would argue, and is not a theocracy, um, we, not just a country, but you and I, I would argue need to have a proper theology of history that enables us to learn from Scripture and see the nation of Israel and see the surrounding nations to see how God deals with nations that reject Him because God never changes. So, But I want to be clear. <laughs> I'm not equating America with Israel. Um, America is not God's chosen people. I don't believe in manifest destiny. I don't believe that America is a shining city on a hill. I don't think God has made a covenant with America. I'm not saying America and Israel are the same. What I am saying is that God is the same. That's what I'm saying. God is the same. God never changes. So, so what does that mean for us then in our national context? Well, again, we're not a theocracy. In our country, we are a nation of the people for the people. And so let something click in your mind. We then are the nation. We're the nation, and so especially for us, this, is a, this, this thing I'm talking about, this spiritual thing, is a personal thing way more than it is a national thing. So if we want then to have a nation as Christians that brings more glory to God, then we need to bring more glory to God. Okay, so, so we can look out there. Our nation needs to bring more glory to God, but what I would encourage us to do is to look in here and say, I need to bring more glory to God. Listen, it's, a, it's an individual thing. Of course, man, uh, local and national politics are super important because they truly affect people, but this is an individual thing before the Lord, I would argue. Why would I, why would I, say, why would I say that? Because even with the nation of Israel, do you realize that way before they collectively made a golden calf to worship, they had already created idols in their own hearts? Do you recognize that? That was an outworking of what was already taking place on the inside of them. And so, yes, they should condemn the golden calf. That, that, is, that was wrong, but the idols were already created in here. So it's the human heart that's the primary source of wickedness. It's the human heart that shapes our, our politics. And the reason I want to point that out is because, remember, God had made these things, told them to put these things of uncut stones. They had not been rescued by themselves. They were not be protected by themselves. They were not their own saviors. And so 
when this political thing gets ratcheted up, as it already is, but will be more, I want us to be reminded that neither the DNC nor the RNC will save us. Okay? Um, Our salvation will not have the marks of human hands. The Libertarians will not save us. The Green Party will not save us. Joe Biden is not the Savior. Donald Trump is not the Savior. I want us to be reminded of Jesus, who is the Savior. Um, No mere human being, no human institution, no social movement will save us. Yahweh, God, will save us. Um, So God help us choose life by choosing the Lord. And not, not that we have to neglect those things. I don't think we should but that we shouldn't look to those things as our saviors, right? Um, so I'm going to step down off my soapbox, okay? But to be honest, that was the very kind of soapbox that the Lord had Moses on. Don't be like your generations in the past. You didn't save yourself. You didn't give yourself this land. I, I'm your savior, says the Lord. Look to me and live. He alone saves. Okay, so then Moses, <laughs> Moses divided the, the tribes of Israel in half. This is an amazing scene in the Old Testament. If you haven't read this in Deuteronomy, I really encourage it. Parti- uh, uh, picture a big valley with mountains on either side. And Moses put one half of the tribes of Israel on one mountain ridge and the other half on another mountain ridge. And one half of the tribe of Israel would yell out cursings for those who reject God reminding themselves and the other tribe, don't reject the Lord. And then on the other side, the other half of the tribes would yell out to to themselves and the other side, follow the Lord and live. See the blessings that he brings. See what comes from following the Lord. It's an amazing scene. Could you imagine? Again, all these people are 20 years and younger, young people standing on either side of of a big ravine, yelling at one another, follow Yahweh God. It's an amazing scene, and it, uh, Kelly always has to hear me uh, give my messages first in practice, but she's like, you get so excited about it. Like, I know, because it's an amazing thing to, uh, to, to see. It's one of the most moving scenes in all of Israel's history. Well, then we see in chapters 29 through 30 that God pleads again for the Israelites to be faithful. He's like, please, please. Be faithful to the covenant. So once again, Moses reviews victories that God had provided over the nations. And he sadly foretells that the Israelites will be disobedient once again. They will again be put in exile. And then they will repent. And God will once again, very graciously, very patiently, draw them again to himself. You know, time and time again, we see these Israelites rebel against God. He wakes them up, they repent, and he graciously takes them back over and over and over again. And, you know, it's an important uh, side note here, but as we get into other Old Testament books in the future, uh, you'll see that even God's enemies, man, um, whom the Israelites were to drive out from the land, were given 400 years to repent by God. These were people who were sacrificing their children in the fire to a fake god named Moloch. And yet God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to these people, repent, stop doing those things, repent, turn to me and live 400 years. And so I just want to want to point out that we may think God's loving in the New Testament, but he's really harsh in the Old Testament. No, no, no. God is always slow to anger 
quick to forgive, abounding in love, not wanting anyone to perish, even his enemies. In fact, I would say he's, he's more gracious than I am. I don't know if I would put up with that stuff for 400 years. Um, so then Moses charges them to make a conscious decision to be faithful in their commitments to the Lord. That's the next thing in your, in your weekly, if you're following along and taking notes. A conscious decision. Flip back over to Deuteronomy 30 with me. And I just want to read in context uh, verses 8 through 20. And then I'll kind of kind of wrap things together and make some application for us. You'll see that as we go through here, some things are highlighted because I wanted to make some, or put in bold, so I wanted to make some emphasis. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 8 through 20. And you shall again, remember, okay, pause. <laughs> uh, remember, uh, the Lord's talking about they will rebel. He will convict them. They will repent. He will rescue them. He will draw them back to himself. And he says, and you shall again. Verse 8, obey the voice of the Lord and keep his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you, see verse 10, when you obey the voice of the Lord, of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. When you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then You shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them. So he's placing a, a before them blessing and cursing, a choice between life and death. And again, you saw that in your outline. God gives them a choice between blessing and cursing, between life and death. Moses is calling the Israelites before they enter the promised land to decide now. Who are you going to follow? Decide now. Um, 
what your future behavior is going to be. Make, make that commitment. Make that covenant now. He's saying that you cannot afford when you get into this hostile land where they're worshiping all sorts of false gods, where uh, these, are, these are the enemies. They, they, want to, they want to kill you. You cannot wait until then to, to decide to follow God. God is saying here, before you go into the land, make this covenant Make the decision now. Decide today before you go in. Will they then follow God and all He commands and worship Him and approach Him as He has uh, prescribed and directed and be blessed and live? Or will they seek a different path and be cursed? Zach, I'm, I'm seeing Zach sit back there. This, this reminds me that the path of arrogance or the path of humility, isn't it? God is laying it before them once again. And so can I just... Read those again and and show that the same applies to us. I just want to repeat them. Will we follow God in all that He commands and approach Him the way that He has directed for us to approach Him and be blessed and live? Or will we seek a different path and be cursed and separated from God? Man, I, God forgive us uh, for looking to anyone or anything except God as our primary place of hope. And by extension, that, that thing becomes the thing that we're most devoted to. It's the thing that, you know how you can tell like what priorities things have in your mind? How often do you think about that as opposed to something else? How much, how much of your, your happiness or your contentment or your peace or your joy do you hang on this given thing? If it's more than Yahweh God, then that thing has become an idol. Right? God, forgive us for that. It looks like um, well, I, I'm going I'm to cut that out. I'm going to cut that piece <laughs> right there out. Um, you know, God, forgive us uh, for choosing death by rejecting God. It, it, as I look around in my, sometimes when I look in the mirror of my own heart, <laughs> sometimes when I look at the people around me, when I look at our communities, when I look at our neighborhoods, when I look at our country, it's obvious that we are sowing the wind and weeping the world, reaping the whirlwind. We really are. So I, I, I want to encourage us, Reach Life Church, Let's repent. Let's, that means turn. That's an about, it's a military term, right? About face. Let's f- turn to follow God. Let's choose life that we might live. So what does that look like on a practical level? Well, it looks like being willing to see and confess if we've begun following after the gods of this earth uh, as our saviors. It looks like being willing to see and confess that when life is prosperous, Land flowing with milk and honey. We forget the Lord. Things are tough in my life. Things are really hard. Man, I'm on my knees seeking God. When things are great, God's like on the back burner. He's like an afterthought. Remember, lest lest we do well in the land and forget the Lord. Um, We need to recognize that. Uh, it looks like on a repenting looks like on a practical level, being willing to see and confess that we've sought other things before him. Right? Maybe we've looked after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so when we see and confess these things before the Lord, it looks like praying the sentiments of the song that we opened with, right? Prone to wander. Lord, I, I feel it. 
Maybe you feel that in your own heart. I'm, I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to leave the God I love. Well, repentance says, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. And so if, you're, if, if those things have kind of uh, ruffled your feathers this morning, like you feel there's either conviction or some sort of, of uh, friction in your soul when I talk about these types of idols and putting things first and, and following after the Lord and only the Lord. Um, conviction is not always a bad thing. It would be a bad thing if I were trying to manipulate you or, or, or some way cause you to feel manipulation or be convicted in, in a bad way. But if, if the, just a clear message from the word of the Lord says, seek God first. Seek your peace in Him. Find your contentment in Him. Don't serve other things before Him. He alone is the rescuer. He alone is the Savior. He alone is the source of your hope and peace and joy and contentment, um, then that's a good conviction. And the reason God gives us that conviction is because He wants us to be made whole. He wants us to return. He wants us to repent. As, as He said to the Israelites, he, is, he has put it in our mouth. He has put it in our hearts so that we can do it. So that we can do it. Um, it's His loving, gracious tug to pull you back to the safety of Himself. So I would, I would just encourage you this morning, run to Him and live. Uh, recall that in the book of, the, of Deuteronomy, remember, they were told to remember four things. I would encourage us to remember four things. God's faithfulness to you, God's holiness, God's blessings to you, and God's warnings to you. And so as we come to a time of prayer and response, we're going to do the Lord's Supper as well. I want you to think about your own relationship with the Lord. Again, not you're the person sitting in the chair beside you, not your neighbor, not the country. This country is going crazy. Well, let's remember this is an individual thing. Um, think about your relationship with the Lord. What does it look like then for you individually to remember God's faithfulness, holiness, blessings, and warnings? Well, maybe remembering God's faithfulness during this time of response would be just thinking in your mind, reflecting on praising God for everything that He's brought you through. For those of you that, that I know well in here, I know that I'm looking at people that God has brought through some things. Maybe this would be a time to remember that. What does it look like for you individually to remember God's holiness? Maybe this time would be a time for you to humble yourself before Him. Confess indwelling sin that you may have going on in your life. And if you're not familiar with that word sin, it just means missing the mark. It is missing God's standard for your life. And it's not to, to keep you down. It's to, it's to build you up. It's to help you live what you were made for, relationship with Him. Maybe this would be a time to confess those things to Him. What does it look like for you individually to remember God's blessings? Well, maybe it'd be a time to remember the greatest blessing of all. That those sins that you were just confessing can be forgiven, have, have been paid for. That's what this, this cross was all about 2,000 years ago. Those sins have been paid for by what Jesus did on a cross in your place. What does it look like for you individually to remember God's warnings? Well, 
maybe this morning for you, it means to be reminded of your past, not because you need to feel the guilt of your past anymore. If Jesus has set you free from that, you're free indeed. There's now no, no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. But to remember the mistakes, the sins of your past, lest you repeat them. Remember that God has delivered you from them and that by His grace you never, ever want to return to that kind of place again. Um, but instead, you're going to choose life today by choosing Jesus above all else. Um, I pray that that's your choice. I pray that that's my choice today.